So last week, Pastor Chad began our four-week series called The Good Life. He talked in particular about Matthew's fifth chapter, the Beatitudes, um, which reminds us that blessing does not look like what we think it will look like. We all have our own ideas of what it means to be blessed. I did a whole sermon on this very thing not too long ago. I titled it hashtag blessed, remember? And this idea of a good life is similar. We think we know what it means to have a good life. Usually in our minds, somewhere, it's some combination of blessings, right? A good job, good money, good house, good family, good life. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes in particular, are actually an indictment of that kind of thinking, not about privilege and power being good. As Pastor Chad said last week, the good life is found in the presence of Christ, and the Beatitudes tell us where to find him, in the poor, in the mourning, in the hungry, and in the persecuted. So we continue this morning in that theme of the good life. In Matthew's sixth chapter that we have in front of us today, it is still a part of that same Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus has gathered a very large crowd, and he told them the kingdom of God is not something that is somewhere else, somewhere out there. It is here now. It has arrived with Jesus into the world, and then Jesus begins to give a sermon about what that looks like. And he starts with the Beatitudes, which in the moment when he first gave that sermon, it blew everybody's minds. And really, if we read them closely and take them seriously, they still blow our minds today. And then Jesus continues with this note of warning. Reminder, he's done all the blessings so far. And then he says, watch out, be careful. Be careful how you practice your faith before others. Now, Jesus isn't saying having a public faith is not okay. I want to be pretty clear about that. Back in Matthew's fifth chapter, Jesus says, let your light shine before others. But this warning to watch out comes after Jesus has handed out abundant blessings on those who are in need, after he has told people to love their neighbors and take care of those who are hurting, and then he says, but beware, be careful. There is a risk when you practice your faith before others. And he actually, for once, for once, answers the why right away. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order that you might be seen by them. The answer is, don't practice your faith so that you're seen as faithful. Matthew's gospel gives us a rare motivation here, and this is what Jesus is speaking against. It is not about having a public faith. It's about why you make your faith public. Eugene Peterson's uh, message paraphrase wrote Matthew 6.1 in this way. He said, be careful, especially when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. I know that feels, feels a little more harsh than what Jesus said, right? But it is important. 
Because Jesus doesn't say that trying to be good or holy and messing up is the problem. He says the problem is when we do something for how it looks versus the heart of it. It's all about motivation. Do you do these things for how they make you look? Are they a mask? Do they cover up reality? Basically, he's saying, are you faking it? Now, we, I think, get this these days. We live in a time where people curate the perfect life. And I don't just mean online, though truly, I could do a whole sermon on how we only show our best moments and edit our reality until it's not real anymore. But since not everyone in here is online all the time, I thought I'd pick an example of this that most of us would be more familiar with. So even though it is July, I think a good example of this is Christmas cards. Well, it would be, what it, so I wonder what it would be like if we sent honest Christmas cards instead of professionally shot and perfectly edited ones. So I have a few examples this morning. I also found, just because I thought it would be funny, I found what if we wrote our yearly Christmas letters in this honest way too. So I found one. Merry Christmas from the Allen family. Landon, our precocious and super annoying three-year-old, he whines all the time and he doesn't go to sleep when he's told. <laughs> Flynn thought that was hilarious. <laughs> he cries when he doesn't get gushers after dinner. Most of the artwork he brings home from the church nursery is awful. He is our pride and joy and the source of our drinking. Oh, we're not done yet. This keeps going. Hunter, <clears throat> our energetic yet surprisingly unathletic nine-year-old just got cut from the soccer team that doesn't even keep score in their games. How does that even happen? He spends most of his time on his iPad, and he said his first swear word this year, super exciting. <laughs> Maddie, age 18, goes over her data each month on her cell phone, was grounded for two weeks this fall after she snuck a guy into her window to watch a movie. She got fired from Sephora after telling her boss, just because I'm on a schedule doesn't mean I have to show up. She would like to drop out of school to become Insta-famous. And finally, Tom and Lisa somehow are still married after 41 years. Tom still tucks his t-shirts into his jeans and just took money from our retirement account to buy a fishing boat. His golf shoes are still currently on the steps after I told him three times to take them upstairs. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> as much as I wish this were not the case in churches, churches are not exempt from this either, and I have a clip from comedian John Christ about the swag seminary that talks about this very thing as well. All right, so, right, churches are not exempt from this need to be cool and relevant and trying to do all this stuff. You hear them say the wood pallet background and playing satellite campuses. We get, we get kind of good at this. Our culture has taught us how to be better and better at this, at projecting what we think the world wants us to do or be about for the sake of popularity and followers, but it's not real. And I know Jesus was not talking about social media in his Sermon on the Mount, though just take a second and imagine what he might say if he were. But the intention he gives us is similar. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it because you should or you have to? No, watch out for people who do that. Watch out for your own tendency to do that. It's not real. 
And a life of faith is deeper than shoulds or have-tos or suspect motivation. The kingdom of God is about more than this. So Jesus continues, and he gives three examples, giving, praying, and fasting. These are three common ways that people in Jesus' time used to redeem themselves, to get right with God, to get closer to God, to improve their faith. In fact, we most often use this text from Matthew 6 at the start of our own season of reflection and repentance. This is most often our Ash Wednesday text. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray on the street corners, and then again the motivation he gives, so they might be seen by others. When you give, don't sound a trumpet so that you might be praised for your generosity. When you fast, don't walk around with a mopey face so that people think you're so holy for what you're doing. The motivation in all of these is given. It is always to be seen. Not ever once is it for the kingdom of God. Again, Eugene Peterson rephrases these in a pretty helpful way. He says, when you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen these people in action, I'm sure, the play actors, I call them, treating prayer meetings and street corners as a stage, acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. And when you help someone out, don't think about how it looks, just do it quietly and unobtrusively. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people about making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God is sitting in a box seat? When you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. Now, it might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. I think that's my favorite line from Eugene's paraphrase. He says, God doesn't require attention-getting devices. So if the motivation is likes or followers or attention or holiness points or some gold star with God, the word we have in front of us today is watch out. That way has no place in the good life that Jesus is here to bring. And God doesn't want it, and really, God doesn't need it. And I wonder, do we? Do we need this kind of selfish piety in the church or in our lives? We have gotten so far away from the kind of community God created. I wonder if we've tried so hard to create the perfectly curated church, the perfectly curated Christianity, that we've curated the reality of life and who we really are right out of it. We've maybe curated Jesus right out of it. Jesus reminds us today that the purpose of praying and giving and even taking time to fast or do an activity to refocus on God is not done to earn or gain God's love or approval. Jesus warns against practicing piety in order to be seen as good in the eyes of others. Jesus calls us to integrity which is how that word we translated this morning as piety can also be translated. Integrity, a call for our actions to be in agreement with who God has already declared us to be. See, it's not that you 
can't practice your faith, but who is it for? Are you acting for the approval of others, or are you acting out of who God has said you are? See, God doesn't need us to put on a show for God's approval. God approved of us long ago. As we gathered around a baptismal font and we heard the words declared to us, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have been marked with the cross of Christ forever. That was all the approval we will ever need. That is where our giving and our prayer and our attention comes from. Now we get to watch this happen this morning with Sully and Grayson. We get to see God name them beloved and claim them as children of God. That's our why. That is where our action in the world comes from, from who we have been declared to be. God has said it so. That is all the approval we need, and it is the good life that Jesus has come to bring. I want you to take some time and think about your whys. Some hard questions on this second Sunday of our Good Life series. So I want you to think about why you pray. Do you pray to be perceived as holy? Do you pray to make sure people know what's going on? Do you pray so that you get what you want, like God is some cosmic vending machine? Or do you pray without telling anyone? Because you believe that God hears you. Because it brings you nearer to the heart of God than going at it alone. Why do you give? Do you give to be seen? Do you give to show some kind of stamp of approval over the pastoral staff or the direction of the church? Do you give to help those in need? Do you give to help that gay 15-year-old kid who's just been kicked out of their house? Do you give food to a family who works hard but just can't get out of the hole they're in because of the system of our country that keeps them there? Do you give to help legally to help parents looking for their kid who is separated at the border? See, that's where Jesus is. So what's your why? And then after you've thought about your whys for a little bit, I want you to reflect on who God has declared you to be. I want you to think about who you are, how loved you are. Despite all the flaws and the ways we mess up and make it about ourselves and make it about the way others think about us, you are loved. It is already true. It is already true. My favorite line of, of the whole paraphrase that G Eugene Peterson gave us today was that God doesn't require attention-getting devices. This idea that we have to do something or act a certain way or believe a certain thing or, or have no doubts or never struggle or never be sad, good vibes only, that's not the kind of church we are here, right? We have all the vibes, all the time. And as cute as these two are, because they are really cute and you should all introduce yourselves to them, they didn't do anything this morning. They just took it. They just took it. And God came to them. And that is how God comes to us, each and every one of us. No matter what, God comes to us. And we are named beloved. And then we are sent. That is step two. We are sent into this world that needs us to be, like we say in our welcome prayer, God's, we need to bear God's redeeming 
word into the world. That's what we do. We get to go out and be something different. So do we take the way we've been named and claimed out with us as we are sent to go in peace and love and serve the Lord. Thank you.